Hi, this is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, friends and listeners. Welcome to a special Christmas Eve episode featuring Carolyn Grimes, Zuzu, from It's a Wonderful Life, including clips from the film. Enjoy the show. to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Help my son, George, tonight. He never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight. Please, God, something's the matter with Daddy. Please bring Daddy back. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night. You're right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. Whose turn is it? That's why I came to see you, sir. It's that clockmaker's turn again. Oh, Clarence hasn't got his wings yet, has he? We've passed him up right along. Because you know, sir, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. Yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. Joseph, send for Clarence. You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. Happy holidays, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to your home for meaningful interviews here on Hollywood and Beyond. In 1946, Liberty Films released It's a Wonderful Life. Directed by master filmmaker Frank Capra, this uplifting film would go on to become one of the most beloved motion pictures of all time. George Bailey, portrayed in a remarkable performance by Jimmy Stewart, finds himself deeply distraught and on the verge of not only giving up on his dreams, but also, sadly, his life. His wife in the film was portrayed by the lovely Donna Reed. My guest today, an extra special guest on the show, Carolyn Grimes was also a part of this magical film. As Zuzu, she portrayed one of their on-screen children. All was not lost, though, for George Bailey, for Clarence, an angel sent from the heavens above, arrived to show George that he has touched so many lives, and also what life would have been like for those folks residing in Bedford Falls if he never existed. It's a Wonderful Life was not an instant classic, though. Despite being considered one of the greatest films of all time, it won no Oscars and quickly sat on a shelf for over two decades. Carolyn Grimes will be sharing her memories today of It's a Wonderful Life, 
as well as working with so many Hollywood legends. I'm talking about true stars in every sense of the word, such as Bing Crosby, Cary Grant, John Wayne, Randolph Scott, Gary Cooper, and Fred McMurray. What an amazing list. And of course, as mentioned, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Well, I'll tell you, Carolyn has carried on the spirit of this film over the years, and you may even recall her iconic line, Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Carolyn Grimes, I am so honored and thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I am looking forward to discussing this wonderful film with you today. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Before we do, I thought I would ask you, how did your interest in acting, or should I say because of your age, how did your uh, journey with acting first start? Well, I was four years old, and I had a stage mom. And she gave me all kinds of lessons, and she thought I was talented, and so she took me to see an agent, and the agent liked me, and I got some interviews, and then pretty soon I started getting jobs. So that's how it all started. I was four years old. Wow. It started off really well for you, and and you are from Hollywood, California. Is that correct? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Well, you were in the right place, weren't you, to, to to start a journey into acting? And and I learned that you actually were studying piano and violin at a very young age as well. Yes, I started the violin when I was five and the piano when I was three. I had every lesson that could ever be had, from elocution to dialect, <laughs> drama, singing, dancing, all of that. And that was a time when that was going on a lot with the studios, wasn't it? There was all of these departments of, of, of having, you know, how to learn various skills. Well, my mother pretty much did this. <laughs> <laughs> I see. She, she wanted me to be a star. <laughs> so that was her, her way of con- contributing to my career, I think. Carolyn, I was thinking... Had you been to the movies much at that age uh, before you appeared on It's a Wonderful Life? In other words, did your uh, mother or your your family go to the movies, let's say, a few times a month? Or was that something you really hadn't experienced yet? I hadn't experienced it very much. Probably maybe we'd gone if once every three months, something like that. (laughs) Had to be a special movie. I see. I was thinking about that the other day. I was, I'm wondering if she actually had gone, you know, to the cinema very much uh, before um, appearing on It's a Wonderful Life and, and other films. So that's very interesting. And how did yeah. the audition for uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, develop? Well, there really wasn't auditions back then like they do today. It was totally different. It was a one-on-one interview. And um, you had a little casting book that had all your pictures in it and your experience and things like that. Because, you know, we didn't read at that time. So we had this book that we took with us and it had all of the uh, information that the casting director would need. And there would be about five or six of us would go at one time to the casting office and then they'd take us one at a time and interview us. 
And that's kind of how it started. And uh, Capra actually was in the office when I interviewed for It's a Wonderful Life. And he handpicked each one of the people in his in his movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And there were 2,000 extras. He handpicked each one of those. So he handpicked me. He made the right choice, too. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I most definitely uh, believe that to be true. What a master filmmaker. He always seemed to want to make an emphasis with a message or theme uh, on on so many of his films. So I'm so excited to get your uh, recollection of of working with him. And and when you think back, what was it like to be directed by Frank Capra? Well, he wasn't any different than anybody else back then. I mean, he was a good director. He was able to uh, communicate very well with us kids. He would get down on his knees and look us in the eye and tell us eye level what he wanted us to do. And so that's kind of how he worked it with children. And I think that uh, he had a special relationship with everybody he ever cast. And so it was easy for them to just fall right in place and do what he wanted them to do. And he was a master director. He, he, was, he was a genius. He made people do things that, that really worked. And he... Um he definitely was uh, just so skilled. That was an excellent description. Thank you. Um, and you know what? One of the uh, impressive achievements of It's a Wonderful Life, Carolyn, is that it's not just the leading people that have an impact on the film. It's not even just the supporting characters. It's the extras. It's everybody seems casted so well, worked in unison so well on this project and that, that that really is an astonishing accomplishment oh it really is he was very talented at picking people that he thought would work work out and uh, he did a great job of that he was like an artist putting pictures on a palette in a way he, he knew just exactly how he wanted it where he wanted it to be and how he wanted it to look didn't it seem that during those times carolyn that so many films gave you a story that you could really digest and and really you know experience fully. Um, it, it was a wonderful time where stories were presented to a, 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 the audience, and it, it was really about going on an experience, having you think about so many things and feel so many things. Really, a special time um, back in classic Hollywood. Yes, it was reality. And um, you can, you could identify with some of these people and some of the things that happened. Um, you could sit there and understand where they were coming from, and it it's sort of not like that today. <laughs> but back then, it was real life, and they portrayed real life, and I think that that gave something people to enjoy as well as learn from and and um, benefit from in many ways. And you know what? Back then, and especially with uh, Frank, you know what? An emotion or a feeling was just as big as any explosion you see on the screen today. And what I mean is, in those films from that time period, the emotion was big. It was the uh, special effects. Oh, it was. It really was. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Now, all of this snow, Carolyn, um, I just watched a film the other night uh, in anticipation of our interview today. And wow, uh, you just want to grab some hot chocolate because there's just snow everywhere, isn't there? And sometimes it's really coming down heavily. I would like to ask you about um, what uh, Frank did to, to, first of all, create all of this snow. Uh, and, and second of all, I had heard that there was a major heat wave going on at the time of filming, which is rather ironic. Yes, in California at that time, uh, in Hollywood, it, it never really got very hot or very cold. But they were having a 90-degree heat wave, and it was hot during the whole time they shot the film, just three months of heat. And, uh, of course, the, the snow was um, created, actually, by Frank Capra because the snowflakes before It's a Wonderful Life had been made out of cornflakes and they sprayed them with this white concoction and the problem was that when you stepped on them they crunched so they had to dub the voices over the crunching of the snow and that was an expensive procedure so um, Frank Capra had a degree in chemical engineering and he devised another technique and his solution that he made up uh, of chemicals was um, fomite, which you find in the fire extinguishers, and the main ingredient was ivory soap flakes. So he mixed all that up and put it through pipes, pushed it through pipes, and then put it in front of Ritter, big Ritter fans and blew it around, and there was snow, snow, snow everywhere. But if you looked very carefully, Sometimes you would see suds dripping down the the bumpers and the grills of the cars. And then when George and Clarence jump in, into the water there and, and George is pulling him out, you see this huge soap film all over their faces <laughs> and soap suds mixing all around everywhere. So it, it's kind of interesting, but it certainly did work because he wanted silent snow, and that's what he got. I think that was a wise decision to to have the the more silent snow. Um, so I think that was a wise decision. So many wonderfully shot scenes in that film that shows just what of a ma- a master filmmaker he was. However, Carolyn, you know what? Mistakes can still be made, can't they? And the only reason I'm bringing this up. Because all of the positive results is what really should be focused on. But it is interesting to think about some uh, a few scenes that had uh, some issues. And it's very understandable in some of these. Obviously, take after take, they maybe lost track of where uh, a, a background person might have been. And one that comes to mind, and again, if you're not really paying attention, you may not even notice this, was that scene with the uh, cab driver and policeman. And, of course, George, Jimmy Stewart. And... And that beautiful blonde lady will eventually walk by. But in the background, there's a lady with a hat on and she walks by. But then in the next shot, you see her walk by yet again. And I think she even shows up one more time. But isn't it interesting to think that how those things can happen? (laughs) Six times. Six times. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. In that segment. (laughs) There was just no chance to... To, I mean, I think the shot was so good. Do you feel that that's why they didn't go back and refilm it? It's just they did such a good job. No, with that I scene. think they just missed it. <laughs> they just missed it. <laughs> I think so. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I wonder what the reaction was when they noticed that later. That would have been very interesting. 
Don't know if they ever did, really. You and know, you know what? It doesn't. Things that just happen to see. <laughs> it just happened, and you know what? It just shows you that we're all human, and and even the best of us can make mistakes. And I and, never even noticed it until the colorized version, and that's when it it was quite clear. <laughs> that's when you first noticed it was the colorization yes. version. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Because things stand out more, don't they? Like you can pick up on yes, stuff. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh huh. Well, I didn't even notice that lady to that extent until I was um, researching a little bit more for your interview today. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to really pay attention. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that is there. But it's interesting how I didn't even really pick up on that. Um, I was just so involved with the scene. Uh, That's a very uh, humorous scene, by the way. And um, isn't it uh, fascinating to think that uh, the gentleman that portrayed the cab driver and the policeman, they have a connection to Sesame Street. And you know what that is, don't you? Yes, Bert and Ernie. <laughs> they are named after those two characters. Mm-hmm. I got it from Big Bird, straight from Big Bird. Jim Henson loved that movie. Isn't that amazing? It makes it even more special, just just seeing those characters. And, and what are your thoughts on the colorization of It's a Wonderful Life, Carolyn? Oh, I love it. I think it's absolutely fabulous. So you have no issue in. Heavens, no. A studio in um, San Diego did it, and they did a fabulous job. Now, the original, when uh, Turner colorized it, it was awful, really, really bad. But, you know, it's been digitally remastered. They got the colors right. It's, um, you know, vintage coloring. It's beautiful. I really love it. That's the only way I ever watch it. You you are correct. Uh, the early days of colorization were maybe a little bit too bright <laughs> and off-colored. They were abysmal. <laughs> <Yes>. Abysmal. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, Carolyn. I mean, because you would watch the scene and go, I don't think that people were actually wearing those colored outfits. But <laughs> they've come a long, yeah. long way, haven't they? It's very impressive. They certainly have. Uh-huh. Now, I did watch last night, Carolyn. I got to see, of course, your wonderful scenes in the movie. And I watched the whole film on Amazon Prime. It was the black and white version, but in full HD. And Carolyn, what an amazing experience to see that movie in HD. It, it doesn't even seem like it is as old as it is. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. And, and uh, Blu-ray is even better. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Blu-ray is the yeah. best. I have to agree with you there, and I, I, I would love to have this movie on Blu-ray one day. Well, I cannot wait to ask you about two individuals I have so much admiration for and respect, and that is Jimmy Stewart and the lovely Donna Reed. So when you think back, what are some of your memories of, of both of these incredible people? Well, I remember John Jimmy Stewart because he just, uh, I think he made an effort for us to have a little bit of chemical sort of chemistry on this set and he just made an effort to make me feel comfortable and I I really liked him he was just a genuine nice person and I was always in his arms or on his back and seemed like he just made a real effort to let me down gently and he just was a nice man he really really was and for Donna Reed um, I really never had that many interactions with Donna Reed. I was with her in scenes, but I never had any lines with her, and we never addressed each other. I never, I never looked. I was all about him. <laughs> 
I was always in his arms or around him, and I, I, I really never remember her very much. Jimmy, just um, his screen presence is just incredible, isn't it? I was watching the film, yes, it is. and you know what I noticed about Jimmy Carolyn, and I'm sure you, you, of all people, can see this, is just how skilled he is with his timing and choices, of, of how he can be humorous but also very dramatic. I think that's a very special ability. Yes, mm-hmm. he can do it all. He really had the ability to to use his character in so many wonderful ways. And he was also a very tall man. It's very obvious. I'm 6'2", but I could tell he's definitely taller than me. He's 6'4". He was 6'4". And I noticed those big hands in some of the scenes. <laughs> That's when you can he really... He had big hands. <laughs> yeah. Wow. During really, the pedal truly. scene, when we're upstairs, he puts his hand over my face, and all you can see is my little eye peeping out. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty cool. He had big hands. Hi, Daddy. Well, what happened to you? I want a flower. Uh, wait now, where do you think you're going? Want to give my flower a drink. All right, all right. I'll give, the, give Dad the flower. I'll give it a drink. Oh, here. Look, Daddy. Paste it. Well, uh, uh, many people may not be aware that, that Jimmy Stewart was a, a hero during World War II. And I believe this was his first film after the Second World War had, had concluded. That's correct. And I had heard that he had actually uh, uh, received the rank of general. And this is an amazing story, that he actually gave the discharge papers for Ronald Reagan. That's true. He did. He signed the paper. <laughs> that <laughs> I is think amazing. Kind of worked that out, yeah. <laughs> so he was. Um, he's. He was. Uh, I talked to a lot of men who served under him, and they were very impressed with him. And I never heard a bad word about from anybody about him, ever. I'm not surprised to hear that. And he served his country with honor, and had an, an astonishing career. I was very curious about the other individuals that played your brothers and sisters uh, between filming. Let's say it was a day of filming where you were all be together. Did you get to spend a lot of time with them in between takes or was everybody kind of off in their own doing their own thing, so to speak? Well, I actually got to to spend time with him and um he was just a very generous man, and uh, he would talk to me, and and so did Frank Capper. They were both very easy to get to, and, you know, they made it a point to build some kind of a, a chemistry and sort of make you, make you feel natural. And I think that was part of the artistry that Capra encouraged. And, and the... Um 
the other actors have portrayed your brothers and sisters. Uh, what a great scene where the, your older sister, your character's older sister, is playing the piano, and she plays that one over and over and over. <laughs> and, you know, it's those little things that really stand out in a scene. That's just so creative. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, there was uh, a scene between Jimmy and Donna, I believe, at the dance. And some people may not be aware of this. There was a uh, an actor who um, was in that scene, and 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 that gentleman was a part of the Little Rascals. That that's quite an amazing moment. Yes, he's actually the fellow that turned the key, and that was yes. Alfalfa. That that would be Carl Switzer, and he turned that yes. key, and then everybody was jumping in. <laughs> I really admire the way you've uh, gone across the country to continue on with the spirit of the film. And you go to a lot of public appearances and answer questions or or talk about the movie like you are with me today. I think that is just a, a wonderful thing to do to, uh, to honor the memory of the film. And But it's interesting. Carolyn, I'd like to ask you, when the film came out, it was not uh, this instant classic uh, as far as we know it today uh, obviously it did receive some respect the the five academy award nominations but no wins and not necessarily a huge box office success so i'm very baffled about this do you have any idea why that is the case oh yeah i i do uh, it was right after world war ii and People wanted to be entertained. They didn't want to sit down and watch a dark movie. And it was a dark movie. It was about a man who was going to commit suicide. So they they didn't want to go watch that. And there's just a number of reasons why it wasn't a success. Another one is the fact that it was marketed as a romantic comedy. Well, if you'd have gone there to get a lot of laughs, that wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, it's that's really not great. And then... Um, the studio had came to Frank Capra and said, we want your movie to be the Christmas movie. And it was never meant to be a Christmas movie. It was supposed to be released, I think, in March of 1947. And so Capra had to hurry up, get his movie ready to be released. And um, so it, it actually wasn't released until December the 20th at the Globe Theater in New York. Well, that's a little late for a Christmas release. (laughs) So all in all, it had a lot of things going against it. And I think that's why it wasn't a success. Plus, the movie that won the Academy Award that year was The Best Years of Our Lives, which was about um, servicemen coming back and adjusting to civilian life. Well, you know, that's where the mindset was. And so this was a different kind of picture totally. And they just weren't ready for it. And and in the early 70s, they were ready for it because <laughs> that's when <laughs> the copyright wasn't renewed. And so it became public domain. So all the television stations could show it and it was free. So they showed it and sometimes 24 hours, <laughs> every time you turn the channel, you'd see It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas. So that's how the people got the exposure and that's how the movie wove its way into the hearts of America. 
Well, that all makes sense now to me. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, after the devastating experience of World War II, and then you are correct, Carolyn, uh, that kind of labeling of the film, romantic comedy. Now, sure, there was those elements to the film, no doubt about it, but it's much, much more than that. Um, a, a heavy film in, in, in so many ways. Um, but isn't it such a joyful experience at the end, Carolyn, when he's figured out that, you know, he really is a rich man with, with having his family and that he can actually get through this after all. And it's just such a wonderful moment with Jimmy running through the streets and wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. Yes, it is. It's great. It takes you on an emotional roller coaster, kind of. But in the end, it's, it's, it's very satisfying. And, and you realize that everything you do, you might touch a life. And you make a difference and that you matter. George mattered. He didn't think he did, but in the end he did. He realized. So, I mean, what a gift he got. And that's a gift we can't see, but at the same time, in our hearts, we know that we do make a difference after we watch that movie. Yeah! Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry, Merry Christmas, George! Merry Christmas, movie house! Merry Christmas, Emporium! Merry Christmas, you wonderful building alone! Hey! Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Happy New Year to you! In jail! Go on home, they're waiting for you! <laughs> And, and that was a beautiful statement. Thank you. And, and you are so correct uh, to be able to see how everybody would be living a different life without him, even the whole community, not just individuals, but the community was not as uh, as appealing, um, you know, if he had not existed. And, and I thought that was very impressive that they also made sure to make a point of that and. And you know, sometimes in life we think that there's just no light at the end of the tunnel, and then, and that's how George felt. That there's just no way with this this money that was owed and and everything that was happening. But guess what? There sure was, and uh, just a, a message that is just so powerful. And I think that's needed today more than ever. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing so many of these memories. What has it been like when you uh, interact with fans of the movie over the years, especially in in in, in person? Oh, I love it because the people love the film so much. They love that little girl, too. And they share with me uh, how the movie changed their lives or how the movie keeps them on track. And and it, and it, it really does encourage people. And it, it's there as a, a, a great, um, perhaps, a, a little pill of medicine that kind of helps you when you feel <laughs> sick. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. They just really do um, appreciate the fact that this is uh, a work of a genius and that so many things were so perfect about it, from casting to just about everything, the storyline, uh, everything that happened was really quite remarkable in that film. And um, I, I just can't tell you how much people have tears. They hug me. 
they're and it's not me it's the movie you know it's all about the movie and the story and that touched their lives and made a difference it's it's a christmas tradition in many homes across america and also in other countries now they watch it every year at christmas and brings the family together and it just creates a wonderful experience that kind of lasts. And then sometimes in the summer, you kind of have to get that back again. So you sit down and you watch the movie again in the summer. Thank you for DVDs. So we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and Blu-rays, like you mentioned earlier. Yes. The wonderful Blu-rays. Yes. <laughs> and you know, another good time to watch that movie, Carolyn, despite the Christmas holiday theme, is New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. To, to start off your yes. year with those kind of wonderful feelings and perspective. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you recall the first time you actually saw yourself in that movie on the screen? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. And what was your reaction? I mean, because you were, uh, Carolyn, you did a, a great job. You were so natural, and you brought so much to the time that you had in the film. Do you, uh, What was that like for you? Well, um, I went to the opening, but I fell asleep, so oh, I never no. really saw it then. I really never sat down and saw the movie till I was 40. I see. Not until you were 40. That's right. I had a very busy life. <laughs> yes. I didn't watch much TV, so uh, for me to sit down and watch TV, it was usually about... 10 o'clock and Johnny Carson before I could sit down and actually watch TV. <laughs> so I really never saw it until I was 40, till I sat down and saw the complete film. And that's, that's when I found the magic as well as everybody else has found. Well, I have to tell you, being a part of film history like that is, it's really, truly a special, a special thing. And, um, I mean, just to think of the people that you worked with on that film, even the supporting actors, so many with amazing careers, just a very, very special moment in your life. Um, it's so wonderful that you carry on the heart of the film. And I want to say thank you for that, because I think it's very, very important. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing to do. I did want to ask you, speaking of um, Hollywood uh, legends, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire appeared in Blue Skies, which also basically was 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 released somewhere around the time of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, what are your memories of Blue Skies? Well, um, Bing Crosby was my father in that movie, and he sings a song to me. I thought he was just the best thing in the world. He was just so sweet and nice. And when we weren't working, he was joking around with me. And Jerry Colonna would come over and visit on the set and they'd tell jokes. And he'd include me in and all that stuff. It was really fun. He was really a great guy. I enjoyed working with him. And uh, I enjoyed having him sing to me. And it was really uh, a fun, fun movie to do. That's an extended scene, too. It, it, I mean, it's not like a short scene, that, that scene you're describing with him singing to you. I really like how no, there's a lot a to it. No, it's a long segment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and wow, wow, just to hear that voice. I, just, I, I love Bing's voice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, really uh, Fred Astaire, w- when I think back to him, I mean, that was a classic dancer, if ever there was one. Uh, that's just amazing. Well, he did you, the rip. Yes. Putting on the Ritz is in that movie. 
that's a fantastic scene absolutely and it didn't end there so you've 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 worked with these individuals um so many other individuals like i mentioned earlier uh, john wayne and randolph scott i did want to ask you though about the bishop's wife with uh Cary grant uh, david niven and loretta young um what are your um thoughts on the bishop's wife well that was probably one of my most favorite movies to do it i loved Cary grant and Cary grant loved kids so he would tell me stories and read me stories when we weren't working and there was really a uh, skating rink on on the stage and he would come get me at lunch and Pull me around on a sled while he practiced his ice skating. It was pretty fun. And it was a great story, a great, uh, it's, it's right up there with It's a Wonderful Life. It's about egos and priorities, and it's, it's a, there's a lot of good lessons there. Absolutely. And all the people that you have uh, not only worked with, but had a, personal experiences on the set um, that had to be um, just something just so incredible when I look at the list of people you you got to meet. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on Hollywood in general today compared to that time period? Well, I think that time period is a lost art. Hollywood is totally different today. It's like a different country, a different century, whatever you want to call it. It's just, (laughs) it's not the same. And um, you really have to know someone or be extremely lucky to get into the business. And, you know, it's it's just a different place. Uh, I think that they sort of make movies that appeal to teenagers and that kind of an audience now and some of the independent films films are pretty good but for the most part i think the good ones came out in the earlier days <laughs> it was a special time no no question yes, it about was. it yeah you got to be a part of it carolyn and and that is something no one can ever take away from you and and that's right well this has been an absolute delight And I hope for the listeners out there that it has as well. And I want to thank you so much. Really, I think of this as as it ranks up there with one of my highest honors to have you on the show. Thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. And would you mind, I hope this is not asking too much of you, but would you mind repeating that famous line from the film? Daddy, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I want to wish you a wonderful holiday season and the most happiest of 2019. Thank you very much. And the same to you and your audience. Thank you. I appreciate it. Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. 
That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence.